This is 3 and 5 on SLC Management Podcast. Hey everybody, it's Steve Peacher again from SLC Management. Today I'm really excited to have Charlie Youngblood with me. Charlie's a Senior Vice President and Product Specialist in the Capital Markets area at Crescent Capital. So Charlie, thanks for taking a minute. Thank you. So the topic today we want to talk about is narrowly syndicated credit, which some people will know, but many people who listen to this won't know. So what are narrowly syndicated loans? You know, what is narrowly syndicated credit? And we'll go from there. Sure. Basically, we'll use an analogy from the equity market. What narrowly syndicated credit is, is it's essentially small cap loans and bonds that are in the below investment grade credit space. So you're talking 150 to 400 million in issue size, whereas your standard high yield bonds and bank loans are much larger than that. And basically, how they get them into this space is they're companies that have graduated from the direct lending or privately originated market, and now they're in the syndicated markets, but they just don't have as many holders. They don't have as many people who are purchasing these as they would if they were broadly syndicated. So typical investors might include beyond ourselves insurance companies, BDCs, and that sort of stuff. That's why they're not as well known to the retail marketplaces, because they tend to be institutional holders. It's interesting because when I started in the high yield markets myself in 1990, the average deal size was about 250 million. So uh, now that's considered a narrowly syndicated uh, bond deal or, or loan. So if you compare this subsegment of deals in that 150 to 450 million dollar space, this narrowly syndicated market, how does that compare to the larger broadly syndicated market in terms of return, in terms of spread, in terms of volatility? Maybe how do you compare the the two markets? So essentially. These bonds loans, they have a yield premium to them because they're smaller. You know, they, you got to get compensated a little bit more for going into this smaller space. It's about 100 to 200 basis points more yield than you get over a comparable high yield bond or bank loan. And what's re- interesting is they have similar ratings on them as you'd find in broadly syndicated bigger issue sizes. And they're also, they're priced daily, just like the other bonds and loans that you see out there that are better known that are high yield bonds or or broadly syndicated loans. But what's different is because they're smaller, they just don't trade daily. So you're actually going to have less volatility at at certain times when there's sharp downturns in the market, because what's happening is, you know, the larger issues are being sold because they're more readily available to sell. And because although these price daily, they just don't see the same sort of price move. One of the big areas of focus in the markets today, of course, is inflation. Fed started to raise rates. So you could say we're in a rising rate environment. Of course, the back of the curves come off a bit on the back of the Ukrainian situation. But if, if, you, if you say that we're in a high inflation environment for some period of time, we're in a rising rate environment, which the Fed has, has certainly signaled. When you think about this narrowly syndicated segment, which of course spans both bonds and loans, how would you expect it to perform in a rising rate environment? You know, I think that this is actually a great asset class because the majority of it, the vast majority of it is actually loans. When we look at the new issue market so far this year, it's all been loans. So they're floating rate. And that having a floating rate means that your coupon adjusts every three months or so, depending on the issue, mind you. But that means that you're going to adjust up as rates are going up. And they're also lower duration because they're loans. And uh, having that higher coupon and that adjustment means that you're going to get that additional yield. And historically, what we were looking at recently is that these, now to be fair, we've been investing in this since 2009. So we've got a a nice long bit of time, long term definitely, but not multiple market cycles as you'd hope. But still in that amount of time, we've seen a 90 basis point advantage over 
in average returns over investment grade. So this is really a, a great asset class to be in as opposed to investment grade in a rising rate environment. And I don't mean that as a slight on any, anyone else's assets so much as it's an allocation play. You do need to have, of course, some security because nobody would have expected what was happening, as you were mentioning, in the back end of the curve in terms of yield because of that flight to quality we saw with the Ukrainian invasion. But at the same time, prior to that, everybody was really expecting rates to rise in the short term. Well, the high yield and leverage loan markets have grown so dramatically. I know I couldn't have imagined early 90s that the markets would be this big. And so I am a firm believer that the smaller part of that market, that narrowly syndicated part offers great value for investors because you're really not taking that much more credit risk, really no more credit risk. You give up a little bit of liquidity, but you pick up a lot of spread and return for that, which is what's so attractive about it. Let me shift gears. I like to do in these. Uh, we were talking before about electric vehicles, and you said you had a love-hate relationship with your Tesla, which I'm personally interested to hear about as somebody who's thinking about buying an electric vehicle. So give me your experience with your so Tesla. I, I love having an electric car. As a matter of fact, uh, when you think of portfolios, I think it's great that you should have an electric car and maybe a gas car too, because when you're going around town, it's great to just hop into it and you don't have to worry about idling to keep cool in the summer or warm in the winter because it's not producing any uh, greenhouse gas. I really have enjoyed having a Tesla. I've actually had two. They were on three-year leases, so I'm on my second one. And the software is great. The pickup is great. Great vehicle. But a lot of the fit and finish things have just been driving me nuts recently. So, you know, my lease is coming up at the end of the year. I'm going to start looking around again. Probably going to go with another electric vehicle. It might be a Tesla too, but it's just been tough because... Here's a company that went from really working hard on a couple of models, and now they've got a gamut of models here, like six or so. And uh, you know the truck hasn't even come out or the Roadster, but you're seeing little problems with them that weren't there three years ago, which is a little bit of a disappointment. My wife is really angry at some of the software updates because they've uh, screwed up her phone and the interface, you know, the vehicle and that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I know I'm going to have an electric car. It's just finding the right one with speed, handling, you know, that efficiency for uh, not having to, to run on gas. Well, screwing up somebody's phone is the quickest way to irritate somebody. So uh, <laughs> I totally get that. And also you're seeing now a lot more electric cars from other manufacturers. So I think that will end up raising the bar on some of these fit and finish issues, which maybe Tesla's been able to get away with up until now. Well, Charlie, this has been great. Thanks for the education on narrowly syndicated credit. And thanks to everybody for listening to this episode of 3 and 5. Thank you. 